0: I want your life to be connected to something bigger than you, period. I want your passions to be fueled by a bigger picture. I want your priorities to be formed by a bigger picture. I want the purpose of your life to somehow be connected to something that's much bigger than you. We said this the first time talk we had in this conversation called the big picture we said that physically speaking when people become unhealthy they stop moving and when they become unhealthy and they stop moving their world gets small that's just what happens over time and it's natural so you expect it we've all had parents friends whatever when they become unhealthy all of a sudden they become immobile when they become unhealthy and mobile they begin to talk about things that are maybe smaller in terms of their view of the world and the questions and the things they want to talk about and we expect that it's natural but listen when that happens to a church it's devastating it's deadly When a church all of a sudden stops moving, you know what happens? It becomes unhealthy. And when that happens, you know what happens? Their picture of the church becomes really small, and they start a death crawl. Literally, they start a death crawl, and they begin to crawl to their own death. Jesus had different plans for his church. In fact, I want to show you a verse. It's like one of my favorite. I love it, Uh, and we're going to throw it on the screen. It's in Matthew 16. You don't need to turn there. But this is Jesus talking. This is what he said. He said, I tell you. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Listen close. This is fascinating, right? What's Jesus saying? First and foremost, this is what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to build my church. Jesus is the one building his church. Let's make no mistake about that, right? Jesus is the one building his church. And he said, the church I'm building, right? The church that I'm building is going to be a hell-stomping thing. That's what he's saying, right? Right? He's like, hell ain't going to be able to stop the church that I'm building. You can get excited about that, right? He's like, I'm going to build my church and hell's not going to stop it. Ready? Let's just be honest. Then why is it? Then why is it that hell seems to be stomping a lot of churches today? Why is that? That's an interesting question. And you know something? you got to be honest with a question if you want to get to an answer that somehow is going to benefit, Right? you got to ask yourself, why is it that there are some churches today that hell seems to be stomping them? They seem to be stuck. They seem to be paralyzed. Well, maybe the answer is here. Maybe the answer is that someone else started building the church. And maybe the answer is that that someone else that started building the church, they started to build it based on someone else's vision for the church. And maybe as a result of someone else's vision on the church where they started building the church, they disconnected from Jesus' big-picture vision for his church. Because here's what I know. Jesus has a big-picture vision for his church. That's what we've been talking about on Sunday mornings. And so what we've been saying is this, ready? We've been saying we're going to put aside our past pictures, Some of you guys have pictures of the church, and I said this the first week. Some of y'all have been disappointed and hurt by the church. I'm glad you're here. I really am. You've been disappointed and hurt, disgruntled. Some of you have a picture of the church that's not energizing at all, right? But we're going to put aside our past pictures, our pet peeves, our personal preferences. Here's what we're saying. Jesus, you're building the church, so we're asking you to inspire us, motivate us, challenge us, encourage us, convict us. Because we want to connect to your vision for the church. We want to be a part of the church that you're building. And his big picture vision is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And we've been looking at this on Sunday mornings. He says, Y'all are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Simply put, his big picture vision for his church is, I want my story, the gospel, to make a difference here, there, everywhere. Here, there, everywhere. Jerusalem, right where you're at, I want you to be strategic about getting it there. Judea, Samaria, and I want it to impact the entire globe everywhere. So his big picture vision for his church is a here, there, everywhere kind of picture that he has for his church. And so all we've been doing is we've been saying, okay, if that's his big picture vision for his church, what does it look like played out over time? And that's why we're kind of rolling through the book of Acts, And so some of you are reading the book of Acts with this series. And I'd encourage you to grab one of those devotionals that take you through the book of Acts. But there are several things that we have noted that when we connect and know what Jesus' big picture vision for his church is, several things happen. First is this. The very first thing that happens is it ignites big picture praying. People pray different. When you connect with his picture and his vision for the church, those kind of people pray different. The content of their prayer is different. The urgency of their prayer is different. The tone, the expectation, they just pray different. That's what happens. And so as a result of that in our big picture project, we're looking for 500 people who will pray. 500 people who will pray over the next three years. And if you're like, man, I, I, I'd like to do that. I'd like to pray differently for where God's leading us. Just sign your connection card. Put it in one of the black boxes. Let us know that. But it will ignite a movement of prayer. Second, we said this last week, that Jesus' big-picture vision for his church will always, 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 always involve the Holy Spirit moving. He says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go listen to last week because there's a lot of people like, that. man, that sounds creepy, weird, Holy Ghost, Spirit. What's that all about, right? And so we just talked about it. Like, what, what is that all about? Like, like we've got to kind of understand it because... Jesus' big picture vision includes it, it involves it, it always, always involves it. In fact, if there's something going on, Holy Spirit's not involved, it's probably not Jesus' big picture vision. And so Jesus' big picture vision involves the, the work and the moving of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want to talk to you about for a few minutes today. I want you to write it down. Jesus' big picture vision includes a bigger picture of his church. Jesus' big picture vision includes a bigger picture of his church. When you read the book of Acts, here's the point. You read the book of Acts and you read about the church being described, the way the church looks in the book of Acts, you ready, looks different than sometimes we describe or talk about the church today. When you read the book of Acts, trust me, if you do this, you take me up on this, when you read about that church, it looks different than we talk about church today. You see, in our culture, predominantly, here's how we talk about church. Just stay with me. We talk about church as though it's a building, a service, or an organization. We talk about it like it's a building we go to at this address. It's a service that we attend at this time. Or it's an organization that we belong to that we're a member of. And so when we talk about church, that's predominantly how we refer to it. But when Jesus shares his big picture vision for his church, he's not talking about a building, a service, or even an organization. Here's what he's talking about. You ready? When Jesus talks about his church, he is talking about a movement of people to change the world. I want to say that again. When Jesus talks about his church, he's not talking about a building, a service, even an organization that you're a member of. He's talking about a movement of people that will change the world. And so he shares his vision in chapter 1, verse 8. And then you see that played out in the rest of the book of Acts. I'd love for your eyes to go over to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And I want you to pay particular attention to the pronouns. Acts 2, 42. You with me? Let's read it. Here's what it says. The people who connected to this big picture vision Jesus gave, here's how it describes them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Daily, those who are being saved. What's the point? I want you to write it down this way. His church, you ready? His church is people, not simply a place. The church that Jesus is building is people, not simply a place. He's building a church, and the church that he's building is not bricks and mortar, but it is of people. Now, stay with me on this. This It's so important because I'm going to ask you a question that I want you all to answer. Not out loud, but I want you all to answer in a minute. In in the New Testament, when you see the word church, here's how it sounds in Greek. You ready? I'm going to teach you some Greek. You can impress your friends. But it's the word ekklesia. Ekklesia. Everybody say that out loud with me. Ready? Ekklesia. Try that on your friends, right? You can impress them. But here's what ekklesia means. Sometimes we read the Bible and we're like, oh, that must be a, a, a certain word that only is used in the Bible. It's a gathering of people, that's what it means. And so when the New Testament uses it, all it's using it is, is to say the church is a gathering of the people of Christ. It's the gathering of people who've said yes to Jesus. It is the gathering of people in whom the Holy Spirit has moved. That's what the church is. The church is people. It's not a place. In fact, a few years ago I did this and some of you remember it. But if you didn't, I'm going to teach it to you. ready? Some of you grew up in church and you've done this. But I want everybody to put your hands like this. Everybody do this. Everybody, come on, do it with me. This is an all play. Everybody, everybody there? So some of you grew up in church and this is what you learned. Keep your hands just like this and do it like this. Ready? Okay. Here's the church. You know what I'm doing? Here's the steeple. Look inside at all the people. Raise your hand if you've heard that before. Raise your hand. see. Oh, my God. More than I thought. Okay. I'm going to tell you something. That's a lie. That's a bunch of baloney. I'm not I mean, it's fun. Okay, whatever. But, but listen, that is not true. And you see how quickly we can all all of a sudden get off course? That's not true at all. In fact, I want to teach you a different way. You still got your hands together? I hope you do. You're like, how could we raise our hand and have our hands together, right? That's what you're thinking. But here's how it really should go. It's like, here's the church. You ready? It's the people. The building they need in may or may not have a steeple. That's how it should go. You see, the point is simply this, that the church is people, and the church is not a building of bricks and mortars per se. Pastor Peter, who is the pastor in the book of Acts that you read about. So if you're reading Acts, you're reading about Peter. He wrote two books, first and second Peter, and you have your finger in one of those, 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, he kind of explains this. I want to show you this because some of some of you would help make sense of, of this illustration or this picture. 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, that's Jesus, the living stone, I'd underline that in your Bibles, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to write down on your notes. Jesus is the living stone. He is the living stone. And so the point that Peter's trying to make is this, that Jesus is the living stone and he's building this spiritual house or this church made up of people. So it begs the question, ready? I get asked this all the time. How do I become part of the church? It's a great question. Usually when people ask me that, they're like, well, I wanna know how to get involved, how to become a member. Listen, how do I become part of the church? Here's what Pastor Peter taught us. The only way for me to become part of the church Jesus is building is to connect my life to the living stone, Jesus. To say yes to Jesus. Unless I connect to the living stone, Jesus, you ready? Ready? I'm just a dead rock. But when I connect my life, say yes to Jesus, Savior and Lord, I become part of the church he's building, I all of a sudden come alive spiritually. It's the only way for me to be forgiven of sin, the only way for me to be part of the family of God, the only way for me to have hope, the only way for me to be able to find forgiveness of my sin, only way is for me to say yes to Jesus. How do I become part of the church Jesus is building? I need to connect to the living stone, that's Jesus but there's more. Look at chapter 2 of 1 Peter, verses 6 through 8. Here's what it says. For in scripture it says, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, key word, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Jesus is not just a living stone. I want you to write this down. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. So here's the way this works. Jesus is building his church, and it's made up of people who have connected their life to him as the living stone. You ready? And then recognize he's the cornerstone. What does a cornerstone do? The cornerstone is the stone that's laid down first so that all the other stones can be lined up on it to build the building. Here's what it means. Jesus is building a church, and the church that he's building is of people who have attached their lives to him as the living stone and lined their lives up on him as the cornerstone. That's what the picture means. He is the living stone. He is the cornerstone. So it begs this question. You ready? Don't answer out loud, by the way, but everybody answer i got to ask myself this morning this question. Am I part of the church Jesus is building? Or am I simply in a building we happen to call a church? Guys, those are two different things. Those are two different things. I, I sincerely... Want to ask this question, and I want you to answer it. I got to ask myself: Have I ever attached my life to Jesus, Living Stone, Cornerstone, or do I just find myself in a building we happen to call a church? You see, the reason I ask the question is this: is you can go to church all your life and not be part of the church Jesus is building. It's okay if that percolates a little bit, and kind of, it's okay because it's true. Jesus is building a church. He is the living stone. Now, you got 1 Peter 2 in front of you, and I told you look at 6 through 8 because look at verse 7. There's something interesting. Now, to you who believe the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone that causes people to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which also is what they were destined for. Look here a second. Either you and your life will will acknowledge, embrace, recognize Jesus as the living stone and the cornerstone, or he will become a stumbling block. That's what that's saying. Let me say it this way. Ready? You cannot be neutral about Jesus. He never gives that option. Jesus Jesus was a good man. I think I want to follow his example. He doesn't give that option. He either is the living stone who is the cornerstone, or he eventually will become a stumbling block. You'll eventually like, oh, I don't know that I like what Jesus is saying. I think I'm going to... He either is the living stone or the cornerstone, or he will be something you'll trip over. But there is no neutrality when it comes to Jesus. He has a bigger picture of his church. And so when you go back to Acts chapter 2, you see some of that play out. Just check this out with me. Verse 42 says, they... That's the church Devoted themselves to the apostles teaching Into the fellowship And to the breaking of bread into prayer Verse 46 Every day they continued to meet together In the temple courts They broke bread in their homes And ate together with glad and sincere hearts Praising God Enjoying the favor of all the people Three things that they're doing They're devoted to Look here a second They're devoted to I'm going to just mention They're devoted to The breaking of bread together Praying together Praising God together Breaking bread praying, praising God. What are they doing? What's going on there? I'm going to just make it simple. They're responding to God. When they break bread together, what that means is they're celebrating the Lord's Supper or communion together. What are they saying? They're saying, thank you, Thank you, God, that you loved me so much that Jesus died, and when he died, you made it possible for me to be forgiven and part of your family. So they are celebrating communion together. They're responding in worship to a God who loves them, who literally gave his life for them. They're praying. What are they doing? They're responding, saying, God, we know we need you. We know you're holy. We know you're sovereign. And we're coming to you, and we're talking to you, and we have a relationship with you, because now the Holy Spirit of God lives inside. They're responding to God. They're worshiping God and they're praising God. What are they doing? They're making much of God with their life. They're drawing attention to God. God is a big God, worthy of celebration. What are they doing? They're connected to his big picture vision and they realize that part of his big picture vision in his church is to bring glory to God. I would write it this way. His church is people of worship. His church is people of worship, not simply a place to worship. I want you to write it that way. I'm going to explain it. His church is people of worship, not simply a place to worship. This is part of his big picture vision. Here's how I want you to remember. We don't simply begin to worship when we walk in these doors. Okay, a lot of people refer to, hey, I went to church to worship. Okay, I'm going to really rattle some of your paradigm, right? I went to church to worship. Listen, we don't begin worshiping when we come and stop worshiping when we leave. That's not the way it works. But we come in as people who are worshiping. That's how it works. We are people of worship. Let, let Let me use this illustration maybe. Okay. Full confession. Can we have a transparent moment? Look here and just shake your head. Just full transparent. I want everybody in the room, ready? I want everybody, this is an all play, by the way. Everybody in the room who is a Cleveland Cavaliers fan, I want you to raise your hand. Wow, there's a lot of you. you know, Greg Flitzbecker, you know, like that's obnoxious, right? <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, uh, the, the young man who was hosting who admitted to being a Celtics fan, that happens to be my oldest son who I've discipled well. I am a lifelong Boston Celtics fan, all right? This is a very bad week for us, right? So he says, we still have five more games maybe to get, get back at you. I look at it this way. We have two more games until we're going home is the way I look at it, right? But uh, I love his optimism. I absolutely love that, right? But, but here's the deal. You're a Cavaliers fan. How many of you, raise your hand, have ever been to a Cavaliers game in Cleveland, okay? Here's what I know about you. You're a fan. You didn't start fanning when you went into the arena and you didn't stop when you left, did you? You're a fan. What the arena simply does is it gathers people who are fans. That's what it does. People who are cheering for the Cavaliers, people who love the Cavaliers, people who wear their gear, people who absolutely celebrate when they win, people who feel bad when they lose. You are a fan, and what happens in that arena is it is a collection, a gathering of people who are... Making much of the Cavaliers. Y'all are crazy when you get together, right? I mean, there's lights, there's music, there's yelling, there's screaming. Listen, Sunday morning, Sunday morning in, in the fall, Sunday night, is not where we come and start to worship and then stop. That's not what this is. This is the arena where we gather as worshipers of a God we can get enthusiastic about. Can I get one amen in this group? It's like, all right. It's okay if we get in here and we celebrate. In fact, I'll tell you this. If we wait till we get here to start worshiping, we'll never lift the lid on our worship. It'll never ignite and we'll miss the purpose for what we've been called. You're saying, what are you talking about? Well, I want to show you something. 1 Peter 2. This is Pastor Pete. So I'm flipping back and forth because Acts tells the story of Pastor Pete. (laughs) And First Peter kind of gives us into his heart a little bit. And he says this, verse 9. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you weren't a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Look here a second. He's simply saying this. When you say yes to Jesus, or you're part of the church, you, you are a royal priesthood. You with me? So if you said yes to Jesus, you're, you're, you're a royal priesthood. Now, some of you are like, bummer. Like, I didn't sign up to be a priest, right? That's what you're thinking? Because you have image in mind. You're like, oh, dear, now what does that mean, right? But, but here's the deal. What in the, world, what in the world did a priest do? Stay with me on this. Well, we could spend all afternoon talking about that. Let me put it in a sentence. The, the picture they would have had, here, here's the bottom line. You know what a priest did? They were worship leaders. They they were all about pointing people to God, access to God. They were about opening the door so people understood. Here's what he's saying. This will change the way you look at your life. If you said yes to Jesus and you're part of this church he's building, congratulations. You are a worship leader. Your life has been set apart to lead in worship. Can I say it this way? Can I say it this way? Your life... Tells the people you live around, neighborhood, work around, something about God. You're leading in worship. He says, I've set you apart that you might declare the praises of the one who grabbed you out of darkness and brought you into light. He said, I want you to lead in worship. Like, I want the people that live around you. Heck, even live with you. I want your kids to know something about God by watching your life. You don't begin worshiping the moment you come in and Aiden plays the song that you get the quiver in your liver. That's not worship. That can be part of it. But if that's the only experience you have, if that's all it is, you just like that song. But when that song begins to come into the rhythm of your worship, when you come in and you're like, I am every day wanting to somehow in my life respond to a God who is big, who who grabbed me and rescued me. When that's the rhythm and and my life is synchronized to that, and I come in and Aiden plays a song like Jesus Paid It All, and I'm like, bam, 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 got me. See how that works? It's just part of worship. This is his bigger. Picture for his church. Doesn't stop there. I got to show you this. Acts 2 42. They devoted themselves, you see it, to the apostles' teaching. What's going on there? What's going on there? Simply, you have a group of people, the church, they were coachable and they were devoted to the coach's coaching. That's what's going on there. The apostles taught them and they were devoted to being coached. I want you to write it this way. His church is people being equipped, not simply a place to be entertained. His church is people being equipped. It's not simply people who are being entertained. Let's just be honest about something. It is easy to evaluate and judge church based upon entertainment value. Can we just be honest about that? We all have done it. Like, church was good. What do you mean? Music was good. The video, man, it just got me. Right? Or the preacher, man, kept my attention. Right, And so we can judge church based upon its entertainment value. And here's what can happen every time. We can substitute entertainment for what church was meant to be. And that is equipping. Here's the way Ephesians puts it. Look at the screen just for a minute. Verses 11, 13, chapter 4. It was Jesus who gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? To prepare. If you write in your Bibles, you can put coach. To coach God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Jesus' big picture for his church is that people are being coached together, growing together, maturing in their faith together, not simply so we can have cerebral big heads and know all the answers, but he has something he wants us to do. This is interesting to me. Some of you know this, some of you are newer, you wouldn't know this, but for 14 years, I, 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 and I love this, I coached football. And, um, and I kind of miss it. I, I, I loved doing it. I loved working with the kids, and I love football. There's several things that are interesting as I think back at my, my coaching experience. First is this, I just just to say this, and then but, but for 14 years that I coached, I never played a down. I mean, I didn't play a single down, but I coached hundreds of kids that played lots of downs it's interesting in fact in fact it may not have been good if I had played right I was older and but but here's what's interesting I coached with a lot of young guys if you've ever coached football you might be able to dial into what I'm saying and as I got older you learn something about coaching these young guys would come in and here's what they would want their number one goal you know they want they'd want the players to like them I see some of you shaking your head, you've coached. <laughs> they wanted the players to like them. So you know what they'd wanna do? They'd wanna make practice fun and entertaining. And man, we don't need to like spend so much time on all that blocking and tackling stuff. Let's like scrimmage. like scrimmage, I'm like, all right, but we kinda need to learn the fundamentals. And those wind sprints at the end, man, they're not gonna like us if we make them do that. I'm like, yeah, I know. And so they'd wanna be entertaining. And so they'd wanna make practice fun and they'd wanna skip on the wind sprints, right? And I was kind of the old grumpy coach, right? I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. Like, we're going to do tackling drills every day. We're going to learn to block every day. And guess what? End of practice, line up. We're going to run every day. You know what I found? Coaches that gave in to just being entertaining so that their team would like them, you know what? Their team thought they're, man, coach so-and-so, he's just great, until Game day. And they got their elbow handed to them on Game day, because you know why? They weren't ready. They weren't ready. See, I'm going to just tell you something and I need to race on. I think about you guys every day. I know it sounds kind of creepy, but I think about you guys every day. <laughs> I, honest to goodness, I do, every day. And I take very seriously my role as a coach. That part of, the, part of my role in this church he's building, if I'm reading Ephesians 4 right, is Dan, you need to coach. Not simply entertain, but I want you to coach because I got things I want them to do, and game day's coming, and I want them to be prepared. I don't know what game day's going to bring. They may face inclement weather, they may face hard circumstances, they may face an opponent bigger than them. I don't know, but I want you to coach and equip. You see, the question isn't, was church entertaining? But the question is, am I being equipped? Which kind of holds hands with the next one. I think that's interesting. Chapter 2, verse 44. Believers together had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Interesting. Church demonstrates that it is the building that Jesus is building powerfully when we, with unity, bring our gifts together. To bear on something bigger than us. I want you to write it this way. His church. You ready? His church is people who serve together. It's people who serve together. Not simply a place to sit and watch a service together. His church is people who serve together. Not simply a place to sit and watch a service together. This is an area where I think our culture struggles some. And I think this is why hell is stomping some churches. Paul in Ephesians 4... Continued and said this, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. You see that last part? As each part does its work. That's interesting to me. He says, as each part does its work, the body's going to grow. You know, there's an interesting story. If you're reading the book of Acts, let me just tell you it real quick. Acts chapter 6, okay, are you with me? Acts 6, the church hits a bumpy spot. I love the fact the Bible is real. It doesn't sanitize stuff, right? So this, the, this young church hits some turbulence, and the turbulence is this. There were some people in the church that were being overlooked, widows, and they started to complain. And they were complaining to the coaches, the apostles, the prophets, the teachers— And the apostles and the prophets and the teachers realized something. They said, if we're the only ones who are meeting the needs of all the people, that means we're going to have to quit coaching as much. Right? Like, if we're the only ones that are going to do this. And so they did something that is interesting. They said, instead, I think it's good if we really focus on what God's called us to do, equipping people so that others might be able to serve this need. And when you read... The story, they begin to equip and appoint people to serve the needs in the body. And here's what happens. It says that when that happened, the church grew rapidly. Rapidly. Here's the point. The point is this. You ready? If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are part of the church Jesus is building, here's what I love. You have been uniquely wired and gifted to play a part in what he's doing. You have. That God has uniquely wired you to play a part, and we're better when you play your part, and he gets glory. The picture of Jesus is more complete when you play your part. It's interesting, if I could go back to that Cavs example. Y'all Cavs fans in the rooms, how crazy would it be going into the finals, which you're getting ready to go into against the Warriors, right? How crazy would it be if your coach said, hey, guess what? For this series, I think we're going to sit LeBron, how many think that would be a good idea? Raise your hand, right? You'd be like, that's, that's nuts, right? Yeah, is he hurt? No, just, I don't know. just thought we said him. I mean, it's crazy, right? I want to tell you something. As crazy as that sounds, and we all get the illustration, here's what God makes clear. He's gifted you. He has gifted you uniquely to play a part in his church. And he said, I've gifted you not so that you can sit on the bench but so that you can get on the court and figure out how in the world to serve. And see, here's what I know. This this place is amazing because there are hundreds of people volunteering all the time. Did you know that? People that are volunteering in their gifts, they're playing music, their technology in the back, greeting people, children. That's why I want you to go to the ministry fair. Sometimes we serve in our gifts, in our giftedness. Right That sometimes that's how we serve. Aiden won't let me play in the band, right? <laughs> Nor should he. I'm not gifted. right? There's some of you guys that are. I, I, I kind of have a new friend, and he, he plays up here, and, and he and I were talking before the service, and I don't know. I, I watch him when he plays his guitar, he's just something comes alive. He's gifted. I could never do that in a million years, right? And he has energy and, and passion. I love it. Some of you are gifted, and maybe you're gifted to serve here. Maybe you're gifted because, you, you know, you teach kids, and you know how to communicate with kids. I don't know. You, you, you can relate with middle school students. Maybe you can relate with high school. I don't know where you're gifted, but you have a, a part to play in, in, in the body. And we're better when you play your part versus sitting on the bench. And God gets glory. You know why? Because he gifted you to play a part in what he's doing. It's interesting. Sometimes we serve just because that's what needs to be done in the family. You ever think about this? Like we belong to a family together, and sometimes when you belong to a family, you just do things because you're part of the family. Like, like I don't feel particularly gifted at doing dishes, right? Raise your hand if you're gifted at that, right? I mean, they just need, somebody is. Okay, God bless you. But I, sometimes no one in my home is gifted at doing the dishes. How's that? But sometimes there's dirty dishes. I, I watched a family, this was interesting to me, It's just an illustration. But we did a reception on a Saturday morning, which we had this whole place torn apart, and tables, and so on and so forth. And so we had to set back up for Sunday morning. And so we did this reception, and and, and we dismissed everybody, and everybody went, and it was really you know, whatever. And some of the staff, we were going to stay back and put the room back up so we could have services Sunday morning. And this family who came for the reception, they have three little kids. It's just been like a piece of cake for them to run home, right? They had these three little kids running around. They like stayed. And I watched them as we're setting chairs up and they started to roll tables in and out and they brought chairs in and they stayed till everything was out and all the chairs were back in. And I was like blown away. And I'm like, they get it because I watched their little kids watching them and they said... Yeah, we're part of the family. Let's, let's help. It was interesting. They made a difference in those little kids. They gave a bigger picture of the church to their kids. You see, Jesus' picture for his church is bigger. His vision is bigger. His church is people, not simply a place. It is people of worship, not simply a place to worship. People being equipped. People serving together. One last thing, then let's be done. Acts 2, the end of... That section, verse 47, Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You can't help but read the book of Acts and see that people are being saved because, listen close, the DNA of the gospel scattered with the people of God. In fact, let me tell you this. When you get to Acts 8, can I tell you this? This is interesting. The church hits another tough time. You know what that tough time is? They're being persecuted. They're literally being run out of their houses. I don't know about you, but if that were to happen today, we might be like, Oh, God, what's going on, man? How in the world? We're hunkered down. But when you read these guys (laughs) in Acts 8, persecution, I mean, there's no more come and hear Peter and John preach. There's no more, you know, watch Andrew and the worship band. There's no more of that kind of stuff going on in their church. They're scattered. There's persecution. You know what the Bible says happens? happens. Acts chapter 8, verse 4, let's throw it up there. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. The word went with them. You see, Jesus' picture for his church is this his church is people on the go, not simply a place people go. His church is people who are on the go, and when they scatter, when they go, they take with them this story of Jesus. Here's the deal, guys, and then I'm done. We ain't got no persecution breaking out on us, right? I mean, not that I know of. But can I tell you something? The most powerful moment of this service right now, ready? The most powerful moment is getting ready to happen. The most powerful moment of this service is when I say amen and dismiss you and the church scatters. You're going to scatter to your neighborhood. You're going to scatter to the places where you work. You're going to scatter. Just like that church scattered. And Jesus' big picture vision for his church is that when we scatter, we take with us the gospel. That we live lives that make a difference. And that when people ask us about the hope inside of us, we're ready to give an answer. His picture for his church is bigger than sometimes we think about in our culture. Can I ask you a couple questions before I pray and scatter you? Are you part of the church he's building? Not are you in a building we happen to call the church. Are you part of the church Jesus is building this morning? Have you ever said yes to Jesus? Have you lined your life up on Jesus as the cornerstone? This morning, that's the invitation he makes to you. He's like, that's the invitation that's open to you. I want you to be part of this world-changing movement that I have started and that I'm building. Some of you are in the room, you're like, yep, I did that. Fourth grade, said yes to Jesus. Then I'm going to ask you a question this morning. What is it? You ready? It's okay if this challenges you. It's okay if it owies for a minute. What kind of God is your life proclaiming to the people that you work with, live with, live around? Because Jesus' vision of his church isn't that we come here and worship and, yay God, big God, I stand, and then walk out and think about it again next week. His vision for his church is you walk out of here and lead worship. And the people you live around, work with, they see and draw a conclusion about your God by watching your life. And your entire life is a response to that God and the gospel. What conclusion do they draw about your God watching you? Not a guilt thing, just a good question to ask. And then I would ask this. If God truly has gifted each of us for the building up of his body, what part does he want you to play? Are you on the bench? He invites you onto the floor to bring glory to him, beauty to the body, for the movement of the gospel. And so God, what a neat opportunity to be a part of Jesus' big picture vision for his church. God, I pinch myself, I get to do this with these people in this room. I look in some of their eyes and some of them have been here a long time faithfully investing. Some of them are brand new here. So glad that we get to do this together. Now I'm asking God that your spirit would show us the part you want us to play. Show us how you want us to be a part of this life changing movement called the church. God, I pray for Those in the room who maybe have never made that decision said yes to Jesus. God, I pray that maybe today would be the moment they say, yes, I believe Jesus is Savior of the world, died in my place. And yes, I believe he rose again and I want to line my life up on him and follow him. God, I pray that you would help us collectively to connect to your big picture vision for your church. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.